0: It's time for the IHSA Safety Podcast.
1: Welcome to the IHSA Safety Podcast. I'm your host, Ken Raynor. On this episode of the podcast, we're very happy to welcome back IHSA's Manager of Strategic Programs, Marin Gamble. And today we're gonna get into the ABCs of hazards, risks, assessment, and controls. And Marin, with your background, in implementing an occupational health and safety management system at a general contractor and getting a core certified, in your work at IHSA as both a core consultant and a core auditor, and now the manager overseeing our health and safety excellence program, boy, you are a a terrific resource to guide us on this uh, discussion. So Maren, this podcast today, hazards, risks, assessment, and controls. Where do you want to start?
0: That's always the question with these topics, Ken, (laughs) Uh, and thank you for having me in to be able to talk about them today, because really, hazards, risks, assessment, and controls, these are truly the heart of an occupational health and safety management system. Fundamentally, we're just looking for things that can cause harm in the workplace, and then also trying to prevent that harm from actually happening in our workplace. This is a big topic, though. Uh, I mean, there's four words to encompass describing it here that we've been listing off. And honestly, this can be incredibly overwhelming to someone who's getting started in building a system, even someone who's more advanced in building a system when you're looking at a new topic that you've never explored before. So what we really want to accomplish with our conversation today is to look at it a little bit more step-by-step, break it down a little more, and uh, work through how how to approach this part of a system systematically. In order to really have a good conversation about it, though, Ken, I think that we need to sort of outline for our listeners what we're not talking about today. Okay. What we're not talking about today is stuff that falls into the category of, say, workplace inspection or hazard reporting. And what the distinction there is when we're talking about, you know, inspecting a workplace, we're talking about an active workplace. Work is already going. Things are already in play, and it's a live organic environment. At that point, if we identify something that can harm us it's a reactive response that we're taking. We're definitely gonna react to it and and work to control that as well, but it's after the fact. This this is a reactive response because the hazard is already in play affecting an active work, work site. Same thing with hazard reporting. If someone spots a hazard outside of an active inspection, it's still a reactive response to those hazards in the workplace. What you and I are planning to chat about today when we say hazards, risks, assessment and controls are actually the proactive piece of the puzzle here. So what can we do in sort of the theater of the mind, if you will, ahead of the job actually starting? Instead of the work being live and there being you know, real people doing the work, what can we predict and foresee being the risks that are out there? and And plan for ahead of time.
1: Okay. And Maren, I know in terms of what we're going to talk about with say hazards and risks and controls and assessment, this part is like the proactive piece and it's the start of the process. And it's, if you don't, if we don't get this part, right, it's not gonna, regardless of our system or anything else we have, it's really not gonna give us the um, the impact and the effect we want, right? It's kind of like if I was to to bake something uh, today and and I didn't use the right ingredients, regardless of you know anything else, the equipment I have or you know how great of a an oven I have or any of those type of things, the, the mixers, it's not gonna make a difference because it's not gonna turn out the way we want. Is that fair?
0: That's totally fair, Ken. And I I, I feel like you and I talk about baking a lot. (laughs) when we do these podcasts it always leaves me feeling a little bit uh you know peckish i think it's great i do compare systems to to baking a lot of the time because i think it's a good example another example that we could talk about today Ken, in terms of discussing the difference between that reactive and proactive side of things um i think of this a lot like baby proofing a house Mm. um so if you have, you know, an infant come into your household, uh, right about the time that they're starting to, you know, move around on their own, crawling, pulling up on things, walking around your house, it really becomes kind of a crunch time to try and figure out what are the things that could, could hurt that little person and actually put things in place to prevent them from getting harmed in the household. Uh, for those that don't identify with baby proofing, Ken, I think it's very similar if you get a new pet. Puppy proofing, kitten proofing, you know, any of those things, you're really taking on the perspective of this um, individual in your household or or animal and thinking, how could they get hurt? So in the baby proofing example, we might even crawl. I know some of the baby books say, you know, you crawl around the house at their level to see what they're going to see. And so, you know, is there furniture that can tip over? Are there outlets they could stick their fingers in? Is there a cupboard where you keep your chemicals that they could get into? Um, You know, any of those things that can come up, you're actually just going through that thought experiment to say, how can I prevent this um, young life from from engaging with those things uh, rather than having them experience the harm and then reacting to it?
1: Okay. So, okay. We've talked about sort of what is in scope for this episode of the podcast and what we're not going to talk about. So we're really talking about the proactive piece, right? So, okay. So now we're, we're talking about the proactive piece. Mar, what what do you want to talk about next?
0: So The first thing I have to acknowledge is when we talk about hazards, risks, assessment and controls, when you hear these day to day in the health and safety world, um, certainly out of the health and safety world, they're used a lot interchangeably. They're not really used with a ton of distinction between what each of them is. I I think of it in terms of even the, the stuff that you'll see. Uh, through participation in various IHSA programs, you'll see a lot of these words, um, say in the core program, there's an element hazard and risk assessment and control. There's another one that's controls. Um, In the health and safety excellence program, you've got hazard identification, risk assessment, uh, you've got workplace inspections, you've got control of hazards. You know, you can hear a lot of these words that, you know, our podcast is about appearing. Even in the field, if you hear the terms that are being used, you might have a field level risk assessment, you might have a field level hazard assessment. We're using a lot of those words interchangeably because they are so closely linked. But when we're actually building the system, the specific definitions of each of those things actually do give us an extra set of tools to work with when we're actually developing these, these documents, these tools, these things that we're going to work with. Um, if we dig into, you know, what is the distinction between a hazard and risk? What is an assessment fundamentally? What is a control? And so I think that's really what I'd like to talk about with you first today, Ken, if I can, um, is what, what are they and how are they different? So. The logical place to start is with hazard. Hazard, fundamentally, the sort of way that I view it, is the hazard is the thing that can cause harm. The risk, on the other hand, is what sort of harm it can cause. So the hazard itself is an object, a condition uh, that could cause harm, but isn't actively sort of an action or a result in itself. That's what the risk is there can be more than one risk for a single hazard. So if you have a condition or a situation that is a hazard in your workplace, there might be more than one sort of harm that it can cause to the workers who are present. The thing is when we think about dangers in the workplace, um, our minds do really go to the risk first, because it's the what could happen. And that's not a bad starting place, but it's always important that once we do that, that we also ask ourselves, what was the hazard that existed to cause that risk for us? Because that way, we can actually go to the root cause, if you will, uh, to identify other risks that might be associated with the same hazard.
1: Okay. So, uh, Maren, what about some examples we could use? And maybe could you give some examples, maybe, you know, based on activities in our, you know, that take place in our membership? And then maybe also, can you maybe just expand a little bit about, on, you, you said there can be more than one risk posed per hazard. Maybe can, can we just elaborate on that as well?
0: Sure. Uh, I think a, an example would be really good here, Ken, because I know this can be. Um, I mean, the point of this podcast is the fact that these can be hard to distinguish. So um, let's think about a backing vehicle. I think that's mm. a common uh, hazard that we yep. would experience across all, all our of our industries. Yeah, all
1: of the industries, for sure. Yeah. yeah. Great example.
0: And so the backing vehicle um, in itself is a thing that could cause harm. And, you know, if I said there's a backing vehicle, Ken, what's the first thing that comes to mind in terms of what could happen?
1: Uh, someone walking behind or a person that doesn't doesn't uh, see or hear the vehicle backing up. That's the, to me, that's right. the most likely one, right?
0: You know, I think you're absolutely right there. And so right there, we had an example of a hazard being a backing vehicle. A risk of that is that a person may be struck by that, right. that backing vehicle. But if I were to sort of dig a little further and you and I were to brainstorm, If there's a backing vehicle, you know, we can ask ourselves, is there anything else that could happen Mm. from that hazard?
1: Right. Is the bucket up on the backing vehicle?
0: Interesting. Very good Mm. question, right? You might see that bucket striking property. We see that sometimes on roadways has happened. Um, Maybe there's even a risk of injury to the driver if they were to collide with something um, within the vehicle. So I think if, you know, we just talked about it for, I don't know, I wasn't checking the time, but 10 seconds, <laughs> we, right. came up, we came up with a list of three um, yep. risks that are associated with one hazard of the backing vehicle. So this is where, um, just to sort of summarize that so far, you know, by looking at that hazard as the thing that can cause harm as sort of that root cause and going from there into thinking about all the risks, we're taking a very systematic approach using those definitions to really make sure we're covering everything. If we'd started with the risk, um, which our mind might go to first, that someone could be hit by something and never identified what the hazard was. We may not have picked up on those other items. Should we do another one?
1: Sure. Yeah, let's do it.
0: Um, one that uh, comes up a lot in different types of construction is use of scaffold. Scaffold hmm. use um, can be a hazard that that's going on on the on the workplace. And again, Ken, what's the first thing that comes to mind with scaffold use? Uh,
1: either somebody falling or an object falling from the scaffold props.
0: Absolutely, um, and and that could even be considered two different risks right off right. off the top, right? Is is you know scaffold use? The we're thinking about something being at a level that is above ground level. So obviously, you know, gravity exists out there. And so it is associated with major risks that we talk about. But can we talk about other risks? I'd say there's a risk of collapse. Sometimes there's a risk of contact with electrical lines. Hmm. Um, So are we exploring all the risks? It's easier to do that once we know which hazard we're actually starting with. One extra thing I want to talk about you talk about with you today, Ken, is the fact that sometimes the the risks in a workplace can actually lead to additional hazards. Which sounds a little bit complicated, but bear with me. What I'm talking about here is uh, talking about impacts to our mental health in the workplace. So some of these risks that we were just talking about associated with a backing vehicle, associated with scaffold use, associated with many of the other hazards that we see across our high-risk membership industries, there is the potential for serious incidents to happen, for serious injuries, fatalities, and various critical incidents. And when these do happen, uh, they introduce another hazard that you know, we'd be remiss if we didn't mention and didn't consider. And that hazard is the exposure to trauma in the workplace. And I think, you know, I know there's some other amazing podcasts that you've done, Ken, um, with Kathy Martin, I believe from the IHSA, uh, that talk about the impacts of trauma in the workplace. And I know she delves into the sort of extensive risks that can be faced when there is exposure to to uh, trauma in the workplace. So, you know, there are those sort of secondary levels of consideration that we can get into, too, when we're... Excited.
1: Hey, yeah, I mean, thank you so much for bringing that up. That was a really... Uh, it was an enlightening podcast from Kathy. It was episode 70. It was entitled Trauma Management in the Workplace. And for me, I can just speak personally. I know I, after doing that podcast with Kathy... I think about it differently now in terms of if there was something to hap- happen, yes, that's the primary, but what's the secondary? And then what's the what's the uh, impact on those that possibly witnessed it? Not only today, but uh, tomorrow, a week from now, a month from now, constantly got to be checking in. So I would encourage anyone um, to go back. And if you haven't listened to that podcast, episode 70, please give it a listen because there's some great guidance on that from Kathy Martin.
0: I definitely echo that sentiment, Ken. That's a good one. Um, And so there's some examples, right, where I'm hoping it's a little bit more clear now, sort of the difference Mm -hmm. between a hazard and a risk. And again, you know, that hazard is the what. What can cause us harm? And then from there, we can consider what are the possible types of harm that can come and also known as the risk. And by approaching it that way, sort of identifying that root cause hazard and moving through the risks sort of systematically, we're really making sure we identify all the concerns we can come up with. Um, and I really encourage firms that when you're, you're trying to document this in your hazard assessment, risk assessment, hazard and risk assessment, you know, again, there's all these different words, is to consider actually showing them that way. You know, there could be a hazard column associated with a risk column, to actually be able to move through it that way. I find that a lot of us, when we think about what is a hazard and risk assessment, we have found a really nice template. And there's so many really nice templates out there. But they don't necessarily make this distinction. And that doesn't mean they're wrong. But I do find that, you know, when you're really looking at a systematic approach, making this distinction can be a huge value add to help you do it more um, consistently, efficiently, and take away some of that overwhelm with the process.
1: I appreciate that, Mark. And also, just again, going back to, uh, I guess, when you're you're putting those two columns together, Mm -hmm. just reminding our listeners that as you have that hazard listed as a backing vehicle, on a project or on a roadway or whatever wherever it is there are there can be multiple risks associated with it so don't just look at one and say you're done okay great mar now so we've uh looks like we've identified and compiled like a thorough list of hazards and the risks associated with them what do we do next
0: right so i mean i think uh anyone listening will recognize that it's not enough to just have identified the hazards and, and risks involved here. We have to do something with that list in order to make it meaningful in terms of our occupational health and safety system. Um, that's why this podcast has two more words in it. Uh, so we've talked about <laughs> hazard <laughs> and we've talked about risk. The next word that we mentioned was assessment. And that's really the next thing that I'd really like to talk about. Because once you've compiled this list of hazards and risks, you're going to be able to Uh, assess them. And what I mean by that in this context is rating the risks. So determining sort of a a risk priority that's going to allow you to decide what do I have to deal with first, because it's a really significant risk to my organization and my staff, and what is a little bit further down the list based on that prioritization. Because again, it can be really overwhelming to look at a list that might have a lot of risks listed on it. But Mm -hmm. by going through this sort of assessment, this rating, this prioritization, we can give ourselves uh, an ordered list to work through and help ourselves out a little bit. Something to note here, though, if we think about it, Ken, risks are rateable. So, how, how bad is this risk? And we'll talk about some of the pieces of that in just a second, but hazards aren't because hazards themselves are just a thing. You know, um, a backing vehicle in itself is not rateable, but the risks associated with it are. So if we're doing a rating, once we have our list of hazards and risks, it's the risks that we want to assess rather than the hazards themselves. The risks will have varying um, priorities associated with them. So rating. What does that look like? Um, you know, it can be a little bit tough. And, and honestly, there's some degree of subjectivity to it as well. So it's really something where, again, I, we've mentioned it in previous podcasts together, Ken. It's always good to engage a team when you do these things, because then you can really discuss the different perspectives and understand uh, the different views on, on where things land. Certainly, even when we were making our list of hazards and risks, we should have had a team together to do it.
1: right? Um,
0: most of ladies,
1: you, yeah. Like, what would you, so just in terms of that, so let's just say we were doing that, you know, we were talking about backing of vehicles. Who would you want on that team? Just, how, just, just, you know, in terms of just uh, just a broad example, who would be able to contribute to provide different perspectives, maybe to that, Maren?
0: Um, yeah. So basically, we always want to do different cross sections of our organization whenever we can. So depending on, you know, again, how big or small the organization is, um, the things I'm about to list might actually multiple titles might be one person, in their job description, or they might be different individuals. But these are the kind of roles that you'd want in the room. So we'd want people from management in the room, we'd want supervisors in the room, we'd want project managers in the room, we'd want health and safety in the room, we'd want joint health and safety committee maybe in the room, because we definitely want the workers performing the work in the room. And there might even be external experts that you want to consult, whether they're in the room or not is a whole other thing. But in some cases, you know, if we're talking about, you know, fire safety in a building, we may want to contact our local fire department for some input. So. Hmm you really can look at you know, what cross-section makes the most sense. And in some cases, the scope of knowledge that some of those roles will have will be duplicated. You may not need each tier of management in the room. There might be someone who can represent all of that. Um, But you really want to take a look at what's the most appropriate cross-section and always, always, always include someone who does the work.
1: Okay. Thanks for that.
0: No worries. When we are rating, Ken, um, there's as many templates as there are out there for hazard assessment, risk assessment, hazard and risk assessment. Um, You'll find probably just about as many different rating systems that people are going to use. Um, But what generally is common amongst these rating systems is looking at both the probability of the risk happening and the severity of that risk. That would be sort of your typical two factor rating system. Uh, A lot of companies also use a three factor system, which introduces the idea of frequency. As well Um, and there's there's just honestly a lot of those uh, rating systems that you can use and it really comes down to which one feels the most comfortable and meaningful for your organization as long as you are sort of covering off those fundamental concepts of probability, severity, and possibly frequency as well.
1: Now, if you're not, a bit, okay, Maren, I, I appreciate mm-hmm. that there's different ones out there and you probably have, you know, a, you probably are leaning towards one more than the other, but if you're, if you're not, if you're not counting in the frequency, are you missing something potentially?
0: You could be. And again, that's, that's kind of an organizational decision because, um, there's always a trade-off when we're talking about something, um, between including all the possible details and making it user-friendly. So there really is a balance there in terms of who is using this rating system and the complexity that we're introducing versus the usability. So I don't really lean towards one over the other as long as it's clearly defined and it is used consistently. Okay. Um, Talking about these three things, Ken, I just rattled off probability, severity, frequency, and I think possibly our listeners are going, well, how does that lead to a rating? (laughs)
1: <laughs> and what, and what do these of those mean? Perhaps, too?
0: <laughs> yes, I mean, that's probably what I would be thinking. Um, so let's talk about it briefly. The probability, uh, when I say that it's really how likely is the risk to result from being exposed to the hazard. So how likely is being struck by that backing vehicle, um, When the vehicle is backing, you know, how likely is that to happen? This is usually set up depending on your again, whichever rating scale you used. This would be attributed to sort of a numerical scale. A lot of the time, sometimes it's an alphabetical scale to say, um, you know, very unlikely, somewhat likely. very likely, you know, I've left out a few things yep. here, but you get it. Um, yep. It scales from from one end of the spectrum to the other. And so based on which category you think it fits in, you'd be able to attribute either a number or a letter or sometimes even a color to that based on the rating system. Severity is how bad could the harm be that comes from the risk. So if we're comparing, you know, the risk from various different things, some are definitely um, possible very severe outcomes compared to others that might be more minor. So sometimes it's just a contusion, a bruise that would result. And that's going to be a lot more minor than something that's going to result in in a critical injury type scenario. Again, you'd be attributing that kind of scale to it from, you know, not severe at all to extremely severe and attributing, you know, numbers, letters, colors, whatever the case may be. And finally, frequency, it's how often do I face the risk? Is this a a once-a-year risk or an all-day, every-day risk? Depending on your answer there, that will probably impact how quickly you need to address it. If this is an all-day, every-day risk, that's going to move up your prioritization compared to one that you see once a year and maybe you know you won't see for eight months. And so that's where that can factor in. Again, you attribute a number, a letter, And, you know, there's different ways of doing this. So, combining these things, sometimes it's an addition equation, sometimes it's a multiplication equation, sometimes it's a matrix. There's all these beautiful things out there. Some of them are visible in some of our IHSA resources. Um, And if you were to sort of do a general internet search, you'd, you'd find even more. So um, there's a lot of opportunity to explore what fits your organization best. If you wanna hear more about that specifically, the best advice I could actually give our listeners is to take IHSA's Intro to Hazard and Risk Management program. We offer it in person as well as e-learning, and it really delves into the hazard and risk assessment piece a little deeper, and there's lots of examples in that program.
1: Okay. So um, then how, okay, so Martin, how then does a, like a business in one of the industries that we support, so the electric utilities, transportation or construction, Mm. now apply all these findings that you've gone through in terms of you've got this, you know, you've, you've identified the hazard. Now you've understood now what's the probability, severity, frequency. um, You've got these findings. How do we apply them to either eliminate the risk or at least reduce it?
0: Absolutely. So there's obviously still a gap. We've got a list of things in the order we should address them. And we've also got one word left on our podcast, Ken, so it works out perfectly. And that word is controls. So controls, quite fundamentally, is how do we best reduce or eliminate that risk now that we have explored it. So this is introducing things into our work scenario that are going to impact the severity probability and frequency in a way that reduces the risk you notice i said best i didn't just say reduce or eliminate and that was on purpose um, in this case and that's because there is a hierarchy of controls that applies to this kind of thing so fundamentally some types of controls are actually better than others. So that hierarchy, it, it starts with elimination. If you can get rid of a hazard altogether, if there is no backing vehicle, that's best. If there's an opportunity for substitution, so, you know, sometimes we can switch a chemical for a less hazardous chemical. Um, engineering, sometimes we can actually put something into place, we can engineer a solution that's going to correct um, some of those those risks situations. Administration could be training, could be procedures, things around that nature. And then finally protecting ourselves using personal protective equipment would be at the end of the hierarchy. Uh, this is another topic that warrants more explanation uh, more than I just gave you here. That was just the very um, brief overview. and uh, you know, exciting uh, enough, we fairly recently, uh, introduced a hierarchy of controls video, I believe, Ken, on our YouTube.
1: Yes, we did with Scott Lang. So uh, highly encourage anyone that's wanting to get a better understanding of what the hierarchy of controls are to uh, to check that out.
0: Awesome. Because again, the hierarchy of controls gives you another systematic approach to this. So now that we know what the risk is, let's go through that hierarchy. Let's discuss elimination before we discuss substitution, engineering, administration, and PPE. So we know that not only are we introducing a control, but we're introducing the best control or controls that will apply to the situation. So let's talk baby proofing. Again, Ken, um, if we could go back to my earlier example, um, let's think about the example. I think I listed earlier, uh, there's the possibility that our, our baby now is cruising around and starting to pull up on things. And there's a dresser that can tip if the toddler starts pulling themselves up on it. This Mm -hmm. is something we've identified as a hazard. So the hazard is the dresser. The risk is that this dresser is going to fall over and injure our baby. So The first question, remember the hierarchy of control, uh, elimination. So the first question I would actually ask myself with this dresser is, do I even need it? Or can I just get rid of this thing? Is it serving me any purpose or could it be removed from the situation altogether? Uh, If not, if we need this dresser, uh, which we very well might, uh, (laughs) to store all of the baby things, The next question could be, can we find a style of dresser that is not as likely to tip? So something that's going to be long and low is going to be far less likely to tip than something that's narrow and tall. So we could explore substituting with something that is a reduced risk. But one of the more common ways that people deal with this, cause you know, you've already got this dresser in the room is to introduce an engineering control. So I looked at elimination, I looked at substitution, maybe they weren't totally viable. The next one I'm looking at engineering controls and honestly they make anti-tip devices. So simple enough, we can go out and get an anti-tip device, install it according to the instructions that come with it. And we'll have this engineered solution to make sure that this dresser isn't going to tip on this toddler as they're wandering around. Admittedly, administration and PPE are not going to work for babies. Um, the training and procedures piece, and, and sort of training your baby to not touch that dresser, not what I would go with in this case. But um, you know, you can sort of see how the example we can work through it and see that in this case, the engineering control might be our best. Um, best case scenario.
1: I love it. And you know what? You know, you didn't jump right to bubble wrapping the baby. It was, it was a systematic (laughs) approach to how do we actually ensure that this doesn't happen? Uh, and really solidify something that I think everybody could agree would be, the, yeah, that's a good solution, right? That, you know, yeah. I love that, the, the dresser. Can we look at a dresser for that room where the baby's in that's low and long and, and has doesn't have the propensity to tip over? That's that's a terrific alternative. Um, okay, so Maren, last time I checked, and I knew you are pretty good about uh, ensuring that we've covered off all the words in this podcast. We've gone <laughs> through hazards, we've gone through risks, we've gone through assessment, we've gone through controls, Is that it or is is there still work to do?
0: Well, there's still a little bit of work to do, Ken. Um, There's a bit of a repeat here that I want to encourage everyone to do. Um, You know, we did the assessment piece to rate the risk um, to determine which ones needed controls the most. But there's also another step of rating that we really should do once the controls have been introduced. So we did do that rating prior to controls, now I want to do the rating again, considering the controls being in place so that we can actually see if those controls resulted in a new risk rating that's actually okay for us. If we introduced controls, and and maybe they were the best controls we could come up with, but if we introduced them and our risk rating didn't actually go down on a high risk item, then we really can't proceed with the work until we've had some further conversation about that. Uh, We have to make sure that the controls we put in place are effective. And they're enough to make us comfortable with the work proceeding.
1: Right on. So going back to the baby, uh, the baby example. So we've got a, a dresser that has the again the, the the chance that it would tip over. We we switch it out with another dresser that is low and long and mm-hmm. uh, has essentially no chance of tipping over, not with a toddler pulling at it. And we're going to reassess again. So we were hoping that that goes from a high or a major hazard down to a low or essentially a non-existent hazard. Is that fair?
0: That's absolutely fair. And, and in the case you know, um, of the baby proofing, Ken, maybe we also want to add the anti-tip because we want it to go from low risk to nil risk.
1: Right. Ah, there's, there's no reason right. we
0: can't layer controls yeah. that are going to um, work together to just make it even more secure.
1: Love it, thank you for that, that was uh, perfect. Okay, anything else to add, Martin?
0: Yeah, I guess there's one caveat, because I talked about making sure that a process like this is to sort of make sure that we can reduce that sense of of overwhelming uh, lists of things to tackle and sort of approach them systematically. In this case, I did start with hazards, admittedly, um, and they led us to exploring risks, and we prioritized them and controlled them and then checked the risks again. It's essentially what we did today. If you're actually completing this for an organization and you want to complete a sort of comprehensive hazard and risk assessment and control document, you probably also want to start by... um, Focusing in on just one position, one role, one job, one task, and looking at all the hazards for that first. Because if I start trying to jump around, um, say, on a construction project uh, between, you know, risks associated with the painting, pouring the foundations and doing the roofing, again, it becomes a little bit more difficult to really approach systematic, it can become overwhelming. And we also do run the risk of, of missing things that way. So, you know, we started with hazards today, but if I was doing this in sort of a real life scenario, I would probably want to say, okay, let's start with all the hazards associated with uh, the painter. First, and we'd we'd maybe work through their scope of work, and then tackle what the roof was dealing with, uh, and so on and so forth.
1: Gotcha. Would you would you uh, start with the work that you would deem without going through the process, but the ones just from just from regular knowledge that you would deem to be the most hazardous? Would you start there, or would you start somewhere else?
0: I would. Uh, because you know, even if, even if you end up risk rating and you, you found out you misjudged it slightly, you're doing your best to tackle those things that you, you think will have those greatest risks. Um, usually even subjectively, we have a sense of this is more risk than that. So why not make sure you're tackling the highest risk first?
1: Perfect. Okay. Um, and a couple extra resources on Omar and you touched on a few of them. I mentioned a couple during the, uh, the podcast, we'll have some links up in the, in the, on this podcast episode, but we've got got a couple of e-learning courses from IHSA, so at ihsa.ca under the e-learning tab. There's one on hazard identification and control awareness in and construction. And Maran, and you mentioned the one associated with our core program, the intro to hazard and risk management. Um, I want to again mention the hierarchy of controls, which can be found on IHSA's YouTube channel. You can get that right from IHSA's uh, website, ihsa.ca, along the banner at the top on the top right-hand corner Corner. um also an ep- uh, episode 6 of the core podcast, which you can also find at the IHSA safety podcast site, Um, yourself and and, uh, Stacey Blee talking about hazard assessment, analysis and control. And lastly, uh, we talked about it again, the uh, Kathy Martin podcast number 70 on trauma management in the workplace in the event something traumatic happens. It's not just about the incident that happened to the person uh, or the property or the likes. It's like, what, what about everybody else that saw it and how does that impact them and just make sure that's fully understood so hey Maren thank you so much you did a great great job of breaking down hazard um, risk assessment and controls and those ABCs and making it very, um, explanatory and I really hope that, you know, small businesses and the industries we support, this is very helpful to them because this is the intent. This is why we're doing these podcasts to get this information out there. So it's clear and concise and people understand what it is we're talking about. Right. So amazing job. Thank you so much, Maren.
0: Thanks Ken. I actually, I think I'll throw one more thing in there. Um, if there's questions that people have at the conclusion of this, if, if I raised more questions than answers for you today, please reach out to IHSA. Um, we can connect you with a number of consultants, many in your area, wherever you are in the province, to be able to talk with you and assist you in, in figuring this out. Occupational health and safety management systems uh, can be complex, and you are certainly not alone. We're just a phone call or an email away, so don't hesitate to reach out to us.
1: Amazing. Thank you, Maren. And thanks very much to the listeners for listening to the IHSA Safety Podcast and our episode on hazards, risks, assessments, and control. And be sure to subscribe and like us on your podcast channel and visit us at ihsa.ca for a wealth of health and safety resources and
0: information. The IHSA Safety Podcast. For more episodes, tips, and all things safety, go to ihsasafetypodcast.ca. Thanks for listening.